Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion video podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor, and I am joined today with the Bixby superintendent, Rob Miller. Hi, Jenny. Hi. Rob, or Superintendent Miller, um, has written an op-ed this week. He has written in the past, but this week he is writing about merit pay, which has been proposed by the state superintendent, Ryan Walters, and backed by Governor Kevin Stitt's recent budget. And um, I don't want to give everything away because it's very well written, like always, and I think people should read it. But I am curious, kind of to start out, what prompted you to write this? What was it that, you know, inspired you to kind of sit down and put your thoughts to paper on this? Well, Jenny, first of all, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. It's always a joy to talk about education policies and uh, because it is part of our, our lives here. And at, at the end of the day, I consider myself an advocate for public education. I advocate certainly for our students and families, but also for our teachers. And when I see potential legislation or policy changes that could impact our teachers or our, our schools in a negative way, then I feel it's my responsibility to share a different perspective that maybe some legislators or policymakers are not aware of and they haven't thought about. Uh, because we are the practitioners. I've been in education now for 30 years, and working hand-in-hand uh, hand with teachers. I know what they talk about. I know uh, how they feel about some of these issues, and they truly need a voice. They need multiple voices who will step up and say, hey, here's really how that will be perceived. And this idea of merit pay is one of those that's been resurrected about every decade or so uh, since I've been in education. And uh, really is just, I call it a zombie idea. It's the, one of those ideas that never seems to die, just keeps coming back uh, despite overwhelming evidence that it, they don't work in education. And, and that does bring up, because merit pay, just talking about it, you know, it's the American idea of if you work hard, you get paid more. And we all have worked with coworkers that maybe were slacking and you feel like, well, I should get paid more. So performance-based right. pay, you know, it's sort of baked into this, American ideal of you, know, you work hard, you get ahead, maybe above that. But but education is different, um, and and so how does the idea of pay better workers more? How does that not work in a setting like public schools? Well, that's a great question because you're exactly right. The idea of merit based or incentive based pay for uh, teachers seems to resonate with a large portion of our population because in their occupations, the things that they do, that's a part of the salary structure. Uh, but I think the important thing to remember is that we're not creating a widget. We're not selling an insurance policy or an automobile. We're not uh, manufacturing something where incentives can increase efficiency and increase the initiative of employees to do more. Uh, what I will say about education is, is that we're creating a unique, special young people. And the process of educating a child is very complex compared to the items that I just brought up. And it requires a team effort. It requires collaboration. It requires a systems approach where everything in a school district is oriented towards student success and building the factors that will help a student thrive, but also 
Uh, it's important to note that a teacher has tremendous impact on kids in her, his or her class every single day, but they also have limited effect on so many of the factors that determine whether or not a student thrives in class or not. And to hold a teacher uh, either responsible or to give them credit for all of those things uh, is inaccurate and it's unfair uh, because a teacher in an urban school who is dealing with a mostly high poverty uh, demographic, students that are coming from single parent homes, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's simply there are a different set of needs than uh, a district that serves primarily affluent students. And so it is so difficult to compare the work of those teachers. They're both making an impact. They're both helping students grow, but it's difficult to measure that impact. Uh, certainly with test scores, it's very inaccurate, uh, but there's not a good way of, of doing that because every classroom is different based on the composition of those students and the interaction that that teacher has with those students. So it's not a good model. Um, I'll go back to the idea and I'll kind of use the words merit pay. I think every teacher in Oklahoma merits a pay increase for this year. Uh, we've gone through a very difficult four years. 2019 was the last time that the legislature approved a dedicated fund uh, to support a teacher pay raise, and that was $1,200 back then. Uh, the minimum salary scale is just above $36,000 for a beginning teacher. Uh, if you work out those hours, and I'm not even talking uh, overtime and, and weekends and holidays, it averages about $20 an hour. And honestly, we've got 16-year-olds working at the grocery store here in Bixby that are making $14 an hour. So there, these teachers have a bachelor's degree, they're committed, they work day and night and weekends to try and do everything they can to help kids. We need an across the board pay increase for all of our teachers before we even start thinking about tinkering with that because the current plan that's on the table now will only benefit uh, about 25% at most of teachers in Oklahoma. The other 75% will get zero as far as I can tell from the plan that's been proposed so far. And that's just not acceptable. Uh, and Jenny, the other thing is, it, as I write in the article, uh, they don't work. Merit pay simply doesn't work. It's been tried so many times over the last century. The most recent example was under President Obama with race to the top grants. As part of that, school districts, I mean, not school districts, but states had to include a merit pay component of that in order to apply for a grant. We tried to implement one here in Oklahoma under Superintendent Barisi, and that, that airplane blew up on the runway. It never took off. We never got the grant, and many of those programs that were funded by over a billion dollars of federal funds that went towards that are now gone. Uh, they were not effective. There's numerous research. Uh, the most famous uh, not most famous, one of the more um, good cases of a controlled research study where you had a control group and an experimental group was done in Nashville in 2010, where they took a group of 288 teachers, half of them were the control, half were the experimental group, and they challenged both groups to increase uh, math test scores for their students. And what they found was the teachers who got bonuses and the teachers who didn't got bonuses didn't get bonuses, the students in those classes performed almost exactly the same. So the bonus 
did not have any impact statistically on the outcome. And so we've got to look at that research and just not ignore it uh, because it is what it is. And uh, for us to, again, throw money at a merit pay system, thinking that that's going to be some magic uh, bullet to solve the issues that we're dealing with is just not well informed. Well, and I think you hit on something. It's, it's how you define an effective teacher because, um, and my husband's a teacher, teaches special mm -hmm. education, and he's taught in, you know, the 100% poverty schools and rural schools. Mm -hmm. And there are times where the win is a kid didn't drop out, but the, you're you know, the kid's not you're having good grades. Or not. But I mean, but that's never going to be the bragging point of a school district is, hey, they didn't drop out. But, but that's important to that kid in that future that they stuck it out. So that's where, when I kind of think of merit pay, it, I always get stuck on what you talked about, which was, how do you define it? And some of these teachers, they're already putting in 60, 70 hours a week. So the idea that they're going to go back and get more professional development training on top of that, just to get, you know, to get the other 5,000 for this merit pay, it, I don't see that working. But the other thing that you had in your op-ed I found interesting, I never thought about it in this way, and it's a little academic wonky, but it's the idea of a systems, that the, the idea of a well-run system, whether that's education or a bank or, or somewhere like that, um, if, it's, if, it's, if it's effective and well-run, then there's not a lot of, everyone's performing at their peak, that the idea that someone jumps out over another is just not that great because everything's working well. So I'm just curious if thought, what would happen in a well-run system if all of a sudden merit pay is introduced? I mean, what would be the consequences? You've got a great school, everything's going well. What do you think, I mean, could merit pay change that if that's introduced? I think it would definitely have that effect on the culture and climate of our schools. And I'll give you an example from my background as a, I was a Marine Corps officer for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so one of the largest systems-based organizations that we have in America is the United States military. Uh, the Marine Corps is a branch of that. Uh, and the way they operate in the Marine Corps, for instance, is they actively recruit a certain type of young man or woman to fill the ranks of Marines. And they look for certain physical characteristics or mental characteristics. They've got a very rigorous process for selecting candidates to send to boot camp. And once those uh, candidates enlist, they're sent to boot camp, where again, it's a very strenuous, rigorous process to ensure that every person who enters the Marine Corps is of a certain caliber uh, and is able to hold their weight and be effective. And whether it's you're a rifleman or an artilleryman or a supply clerk, if you're a corporal at an E4, you make the same base pay across the board because uh, you can't start saying, well, infantry is more important than the supply clerk, or as your example, a, a special ed teacher is more important than a math teacher in third grade. Uh, because it is, it's a team approach. You have a common mission and the military is different than education, of course. But when you, if you were to introduce a system into the military that was based on merit pay, based on evaluations, you would see individuals starting to sabotage each other. You wouldn't see the same level of cooperation and camaraderie because people would start to uh, 
separate themselves in order to get that bonus and prevent others because there's never going to be an unlimited amount of money to give everyone a bonus so you just do that uh, so even with this system the one that's been proposed there would be inevitably some sort of quota system so only a certain number of teachers could get it and that would really destroy the camaraderie that we built in our school district again just like the military example i just shared we have very rigorous processes for identifying high quality candidates to come to Bixby. We have uh, enhanced our interview process, uh, our selection process, our onboarding process, our training process, our, our professional development and how we run our PLCs. So it's all focused on getting high quality people together with a common mission of providing support for all students in our school district. And when you introduce competition in that, you're going to, students will suffer and teachers will also suffer because it will be uh, counter to the climate that we want to build here. Right. It's sort of like in business, if you figure out how to do it better than someone else, you're not just going to run over to that other store and let no. them know. And it would, I mean, I would imagine it works the same way that it kind of kills that teamwork. But sure. you, you had mentioned earlier about everyone should get a pay raise at this point because it has been a while and inflation is is eaten into everybody's paycheck and i want to say and i didn't check these numbers but teacher pay ever teacher pay sitting somewhere around 37 38 but the pure per pupil expenditure we're like way down like 47th 48th and other states are investing more so those numbers are going to go will go down but let's just say as a thought experiment oklahoma decides we're going to invest you know a billion dollars in our education system and are, you know, those come up and we're fully funded. Do you think at that point it's worth looking at merit pay in some way? Or do you think it's just um, just not something that's ever going to work in education? Well, if we use the term merit pay uh, in that context, in the context in which uh, Superintendent Walters and the governor have used it, uh, they're talking about either using evaluations for teachers or test scores or some other metric that neither one of those is accurate and would be effective in, in identifying that. Uh, at the same time, if we're talking about incentive pay, so if we're saying we want to incentivize some of our good teachers to take on more difficult assignments, maybe they are more effective with some of our high-risk kids or some of those kids who just really need the best and brightest teachers in front of them. Uh, and to incentivize that by saying, you will receive additional funds that go to your salary for taking on some of these more difficult assignments. I could see the benefits of that. Uh, and you know, for, for also public schools or Oklahoma City public schools or other schools that have high poverty rates, uh, being able to set themselves aside and say, yes, we understand that uh, it's, you're gonna have a more challenging, typically, uh, it's going to be every bit as rewarding as you're working with kids who really need a great quality teacher. But we also recognize uh, the other challenges associated with that. We're willing to pay a little extra for you to do that. Right. Uh, this may be pivoting a little bit, but uh -huh. I was thinking of last week's op-ed from Sean Hahn, who was sort of writing from the School Boards Association. And he was writing, again, people should read it if they haven't already. But he was 
writing about what he's hearing from school board members across the state. And he was noting that it didn't matter if it was from Godibo or Tulsa or Pixby, they're all kind of saying the same thing as far as what needs goes, what, what is on their you know, list for the legislature. Uris, you've been an administrator for a while at three different places. I know you've talked to other superintendents. Are you seeing something similar? Are, are superintendents on the wish list when you guys are all talking? Um, what are the things that, that come up universally that, that everyone you talk to seem to agree with from a superintendent perspective? Well, I touched on the point about just operational expenses as well. So we need more resources dedicated for, for teacher salaries, but also our support staff has fallen behind our um, competitors, uh, which are stores and businesses and everyone else who have had to elevate their starting pay in order to be competitive because the job pool is so shallow. And we still are stuck with job scales or uh, salary scales that are below again, what somebody could make down at the grocery store. And that's really difficult. So we need additional revenues for that. But the other thing we have to remember is the effects of inflation over the last two years. Uh, last year, the legislature passed a budget that had a 0.5% increase in funding for public education. At the same time, we had an 8% inflation rate. So mm -hmm. you can do the math pretty simple with that. Our fuel costs are up, food costs are up, uh, every aspect of running a school operationally has increased, and yet the funding was pretty much level. So we're, we actually have taken a dip back down a little bit, and we need to get back on top of that uh, so that we can address some of those needs. The price of just insurance, our, our liability insurance, went up nearly 30% for most school districts across the state. Uh, part of that was due to uh, the weather disasters from a couple of years ago, uh, we're paying higher gas bills, all of that, uh, that we're still paying, but we're getting the same amount of money from the state. And so that has to be addressed in terms of moving forward. The other thing I hear from other superintendents around here is we would like the legislature and the state department to take a look really at what are our current graduation requirements and how can we evolve those to meet the needs of kids today. Mm -hmm. uh, the old standard, you know, four by four model where everybody's yeah. taking the same courses and there's very little flexibility to take electives needs to really be adjusted because kids are on different career paths now. And if we're going to say we're preparing kids for their future, we have to have some flexibility as school districts to be able to design and tailor uh, education plans to meet those needs for individual kids. So if I've got somebody who's going to be a music director, that's their lifelong goal. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with them taking four hours of music? Maybe they take English, maybe they take a math course, but uh, that calculus class isn't going to help them <coughs> achieve their goals as a music major as much as taking jazz band or music theory or something else that would contribute. So I would like to see more flexibility to give the school boards uh, to design that curriculum for our kids. You're speaking my language there because I had a son that graduated last year and I was really frustrated on that inflexibility of what, what he needed. And I'm not the only parent, but it's, it, I don't know, it still seems like there are these silos between 
Department of Ed and Career Tech and things. And that's a whole other whole other podcast for us. But, that is. But, but, um, but one of the things that, you know, along with this is that there's this narrative coming out of the Capitol that almost seems to want to pit rural superintendents against urban and then, you know, suburban superintendents are in that mix. But, and, and we certainly are seeing that divide just among voters on different issues. But when, when the superintendents are together, do you feel that divide among your colleagues or do you feel that there's more com common ground among you? I mean, what's the sense of, like I say, that's sort of the narrative or the feel coming out from politicians. So what, what's the reality of when you are with your colleagues and talking about education issues? From my perspective, we've got great relationships. Uh, we had a conference a couple weeks ago down in Oklahoma City, the OASA conference, which is the Oklahoma Association of School Administrators, brings in superintendents and district administrators from throughout the state. And we're right next to uh, superintendents of very small rural districts and very large urban districts. And uh, the conversations that we have are all focused on the same thing. I don't know of a superintendent, uh, I certainly haven't met one, who didn't have a laser focus on doing everything he or she could to make their school district the best it could be. And that's because we're focused on kids. And we want to be a place where kids can thrive and kids can see their dreams come true. And so anything that supports that, we're going to be in favor of in block. Uh, and anything that is counter that, I think we'll unite and, and push back again. So uh, again, another podcast, but the idea of school choice uh, and vouchers and how that would impact different school districts across the, the state uh, is one I think we're pretty unified about. But I also see that as being uh, a tool uh, to try and divide those so that uh, maybe there could be some uh, push for vouchers in certain areas of the state and not others uh, because of you know, promises that are made not to impact those kind of things. So I, I think some of that is manufactured uh, because I've got many good friends who work in small districts that, and we're pretty unified in the way we think. Uh, and it's not, uh, I, I know there are uh, blogs and other opinion pieces out there that think that we're all colluding to indoctrinate liberal agendas in our schools. I uh, couldn't be farther from the truth. And I wish those people would uh, call any of their superintendents or principals and say, hey, could I come spend a day in one of your schools? And they would see that that wasn't true. And uh, there are great things happening in every one of our schools and every one of our districts. I, I wish that all lawmakers would do that. But I remember, and, the, and there used to be, I know some districts that would have like come follow for a day, but it was always like former educators who were lawmakers. I'm like, no, we need people who, right. you know, if, you, if you're going to criticize a district, step foot in the district first. You know, I wish there was some sort of law we could make on that. But, um, but thank you so much. You're right. When it comes to education policy, we could go in 15 different ways. And I will have you back on because uh, I know that the muse will get you again and you will want to write uh, later on. And I appreciate that because we do need um, the, admin, the, the view from the education level. So, um, so often we hear from lawmakers and policymakers and not the people who have to live by their rules because right. once a law is made and then it comes to you so you would think that you would have a say in it and hey, jenny could i make a, just a quick plug for the teachers across this state yes uh, i am so proud of the work not only of the teachers in this district uh, have done over the last couple of years covid was very difficult and 
you know, pivoting to distance learning and having to learn new technologies and all those things, but also this, this kind of resurgent wave of negative opinions and things about teachers, uh, generalizing teachers as being, again, indoctrinators and that sort of thing. It's not true. It's not accurate. And again, our teachers are doing an amazing job with a very difficult uh, uh, group of students in some cases, uh, but they are committed, they're passionate about what they do, and we deserve, um, or they deserve our respect and admiration, not uh, constant criticism. So I'd like to see uh, the political rhetoric cool down a little bit and support our teachers. We've got to find some common ground. Uh, the teacher shortage is real, and we need to keep our great teachers in our schools in Oklahoma and find new ways of getting more high quality people in front of our kids. No, oh, absolutely. Well, thank you again. And um, are there any last words you wanna leave us with until we, we meet again? No, it will be an interesting legislative session. And we are eager to engage with our legislators in positive ways. We know they have a difficult job as well. And so our job is to provide that other perspective uh, other ideas, and hopefully we can work together to craft policy that is beneficial for all kids in Oklahoma. Agreed. Well, thank you very much, and I hope everyone will read the op-ed he has written and think on it and um, act on it. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny. Have a good day.